0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. I'm your host KJ and welcome to Catalyst Conversations. Our next guest is a poet and a performer with an overall commanding presence. I had the pleasure of meeting him as a coworker when our mirrored experience and family backgrounds gave way to many conversations on race and identity in New Brunswick. His journey has sparked a revelation of my own about my sexuality, my nationality, and my race. So ladies and gentlemen, thems and days, help me give a warm welcome to TJ, to our show.
1: Respect, suede entertainment, they're games meant to change us To bruise, break, and blame us But don't let them contain us Or evict the nameless It's aimless to shame us Respect Government's blind and it can't see Resources are but dreams We have time but it is not free For it has always been costly From ships sailing black seas With rats, slaves, and disease Respect No I won't go down gently this fist ain't made friendly this handshake built deadly to disrupt your spending and break down your memory melodies malicious respect from all you've been sending dna still mending Destructive beginnings, hope tested, still bending. Serve plates full of hate, no escape, it's unending. I push and I shout, cause I'm done being friendly. My hair's not your pet, and my skin was never candy. Respect.
0: Woo! Ah! Uh. The smooth sounds of TJ. Ah, this is, ah, uh, I, I don't even know what to say after hearing that poem. I can listen to it on repeat because every time I listen to it, I get chills. Thank, thank you for me. coming and thank you for delivering that wonderful poem. How are you feeling?
1: Oh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling go. good. Thank you for introducing me and inviting me here today.
0: There we go. So we're here to talk about talk about race. And you know the commonality of you know us being um, you know two black men uh, within a province where uh, people don't look like us, and um, what happens when you know you are a minority and the, the the struggles and tribulations from that. And I wanted you to be on here because I remember when I first met you, um, so little context here, TJ and I worked together with the government of Brunswick and I remembered when we met at that uh, our introduction and uh, before coming to that that session, I literally spent close to an hour and a half making sure that I was like playing the part, like you know I was practicing how I'm going to introduce my name in the mirror, like I was smacking down the hair. I was, like, talking to my mom before, and, like, she was coaching me how to deal with, like, corporate life. And I walk in, and you just sitting there being yourself with your hair out, with the afro. And I was like, ain't this a bitch? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, I see what you did. And then you just... You introduced yourself and you, you explained your, your name, and I, we're going to go into that. But and you, you, you went into depth and you explained with so much pride what your name came from, and I was just in awe. So, um, you know, in the intro, I said that your journey and just you being your authentic self has really sparked a journey within me, um, and especially because we have some similarities with, you know, being from Bermuda. Um, so, like, and your passion and your desire to hear about the island has, like, even, like, opened up my eyes to the beauty and the passion that Bermuda has and the history that we have. And all I want to say is thank you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm um, really looking forward for our conversations um, on, the, on the pod. Oh, no, absolutely. And
1: <laughs> let me just say thank you, too. You've done so much to inspire me. Our conversations through the work and also when we went to a workshop for learning the art of hosting, just our conversations driving there and everything were really enlightening to me and really helped me solidify my own identity as a black man living in New Brunswick. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's all it's all shared, man.
0: There we go. This is what I love. So, you know, growing up in Bermuda, before I came to Canada, I... Like, I understood that, you know, there was going to be black people in, in Canada, but I really did not understand that, you know, are the struggles of uh, black uh, African Canadians are similar to those of, you know, Bermudians, of black Bermudians, and that commonality there. And before even moving, I, I never even connected the idea of an African Canadian. Like, that, the, the concept of it really never clicked. And it, it just amazed me the more I, when I met you and I met your mom. They ex, you you both just opened me to this new um, this this new history of uh, African Canadians who are here in New Brunswick. Absolutely. So I want to do a deep dive in that.
1: Well, starting on that, so I'm the son of Mary McCarthy, and she has eight brothers and sisters her mom althea mccarthy Ooh. was one of the few black families in a small town in new brunswick called woodstock okay And so being in that only being one of the black families in woodstock you kind of only learn of your identity through how other people treat you so i love our contrast of you being from bermuda and being very familiar with culture and your people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and in here your people are literally limited to your family and outside that door it's everyone else's culture and you're starting to ask to conform and starting to be questioned and I'd say the way they ask you to conform when you're living in a rural town in New Brunswick is sort of why is your hair like that or so why did you wear that? Oh that's a funny way you said that and you get these innocent questions from these kids and your teachers as you're going through the education system and it kind of just sets the seed in your head like, oh, did I do something different today? Mm -hmm. I thought I just woke up, put my clothes on, walked to school and they constantly give these little things like, oh, you did a little something different and acknowledging and recognizing that difference is part of the experience, in my own opinion, of being black in Canada because never have I had anyone come up and like, be aggressive with me Mm -hmm. over my color Mm -hmm. or over my culture. And I know I keep my hair grown out just to kind of show that pride. And yeah, it's just hair. Mm
0: -hmm. There's
1: nothing crazy about it. And my family, we, we always hung out so much. And we'd sing and we'd dance and we'd laugh. And every time, we've got like five, seven cousins, and every time a cousin had a birthday, all the other cousins and aunts and uncles would go there, and it was always at Grandma's house, Uh and her as uh the matriarch for the family, bringing our culture and just our identity together. It, It never occurred to me until we moved far from there how toxic the outside environment of New Brunswick can be, for a minority identity, okay. for people coming to Canada, okay. and I'd say it's a slow burn; it's not abrupt.
0: Yeah, you have yeah, to look for it. yeah. And um, the 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 the, pa- the part about the matriarchy, it's it, it's interesting to see because uh, the same thing is it. It's like that back home. Like you know, the matriarch in the family is the end all and be all, yes. and you know, like th- that that uh, that person, that that female hold so much respect and hold so much knowledge about the history and where your family came from. It comes to a point where they're like the bookkeeper and like you constantly want that attention from that matriarch so you can understand where you're coming from um, and, and to, to answer your, to, to give you sentiments, um, you know, since being away from my family, I'm starting to, as you said, see, see the negative side of the world. Yes. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's one thing one, one thing I really value about Bermuda is, like, I always saw black excellence. Like, my, like my parents were very successful black people. My, um, their friends were very successful black people. Their friends were lawyers. Their friends were doctors. Their friends were accountants. So, like, my concept of being black never was looked at as a negative way. Like, it was always looked at as a proud thing to be black.
1: Yes, and that's so fortunate, because inside the family growing up in Woodstock, everyone was always encouraged for education, Mm -hmm. education, Mm -hmm. you want to be someone, you can be whoever you want. Outside of that, I have gotten teachers, principals that have come up to me and said, you're just going to be a plumber, Uh or tell other students that were laughing at me, because I got fatigued in class, and I'd pass out, like, oh, he's never going to do anything, and other students would tell me this after the fact, and it was the your family totally instills in you that dream that you can be whoever you are because you're a strong black person. Mm -hmm. But outside of that in the actual systems you find in New Brunswick, it's almost as if they're waiting for you to fail so they can confirm their own internal dialogue, their own internal narrative on what success can look like because to them, of course, it's a majority white success. So...
0: So Go, so tell me about your experience within the education system. Let's, let's walk from like K all the way up to post-secondary. Um, Cause like you're go UMB right now studying kinesiology?
1: Uh, recreation sport management. Oh, okay. So uh, working in the nonprofit and this is, well, let's start from the K. Okay. <laughs> Going back, uh, it was all playful when I started and I'll frame this always from a point of knowing my identity. So the first time that I knew that I wasn't quite like the other kids is this kind of songs they'd sing to me. My mother's name is Mary, so a common song would be, Mary had a little lamb, his fleece was black as coal. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's... And, in ret- and when I was there, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a fun song. We're all singing this. But in retrospect, I'm like, oh, wait, did they sing that to their parents and they didn't change it, or did they laugh? Like, it's you start to unpack this. You would never want your kids saying that about any human being. I, exactly. Referring them to an animal and mm-hmm, then, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have a pretty coat of fur. And as I went through elementary into middle school, that's really when the teachers started not promoting my good grades. And I started noticing that if I didn't put a hundred percent in, if I got 99 or like a B on a test, they would say like, oh, you don't have to try that hard. Or like don't worry, you're just going to be a plumber if I failed, or you can go into the trades. And they would say these terms as a positive for me to be like, oh, look on the bright side. You can work in construction. And there's nothing against any of those things, but I've always let my dreams known that I wanted to be a psychologist to help people. I mm-hmm. want to work in the mental health field because I always thought there was such like, human minds are just so wonderful. So that's why I love education and learning because there's just so much to know and I'm just Mm -hmm. so curious about things. Uh, High school was probably as worse as it could be and uh, where the students would believe they'd walk down the hallways and they'd just grab my hair and laugh and snicker and say, oh, can you believe I told you it was soft? And it's like there was times in classrooms when I'd walk out and have my hair full of crumpled pieces of paper when I had my afro, because they would just throw pieces of paper in my hair from across the classroom while the teacher was lecturing. If I said anything about it, I got in trouble. If I didn't say anything about it and went up to the teacher afterwards, they would tell me to do something about it and to talk about them. So I never had the system support me when I was bullied as a child of color in the education system. And when I tried to do something about it, I was the aggressive black person Mm -hmm. trying to start fights. And I was just like, just leave my hair alone.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: uh, no, that that turned me away from education for a long time until I decided to go to college out in PEI, which is a wonderful place, fantastic people. The teachers were really great. And it was really forming those one-on-one connections with educators that kind of helped me be like everyone else. Also, they have a great sports program, so I met a lot of people from uh, the Caribbean islands. Okay. And had fantastic friendships. <laughs> and up until that point, though, from Woodstock to Fredericton until Holland College, I didn't have many... Black friends. Okay. The only black family, and anything I knew about black people was what other people told me or what we saw on much music television. So,
0: and and how did that affect you in your adulthood or dealing? Yeah, how did it affect you in your adulthood?
1: I, to be honest, I didn't know that there was anything wrong except my birthday is February 9th mm-hmm. February is Black History Month, mm-hmm. and every year, all, like clockwork. I'd get depressed around February. And I'd wonder, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to celebrate? I'd see people wearing the African colors. I'd hear people talking about these great African scientists. And uh, I couldn't connect with it. I didn't know why that was important to me, because I was never encouraged to be one of those people. It's almost like I didn't see myself reflected in black excellence, as you said. Mm -hmm. And it took me reaching out to a professor on UMB campus a black professor of history and she helped mentor me by giving me materials and she handed me this book it was called uh, You Must Be a Basketball Player which was of a professor from Dow a black professor and he still to this day he wrote in the book that In board meetings, walking on campus, going around, people still think he's a basketball player just because he's a tall black person Mm -hmm. and not a distinguished professor of history.
0: Interesting. They
1: kept not seeing him as professional and would only see him as his color. And when I read that book, I, I had such an epiphany. It changed my mind that what's worse than me thinking this is all happening to me is that this is happening to everyone and it's normal. Yeah. And that's kind of what powered up my voice and started my poetry and writing. I'm like, no, this isn't okay at all. I I have to tell people about this. I have to write my story. I have to help bring other people up because it's like, because if it was me, you know, you're told to be tough as a young black kid. You're told, you know, hold it all in. You're not allowed to share. You just have to push forward. And my grandma was very much of the keep your head down, move forward. Just make sure that you're always progressing. It doesn't matter what other people say. And so having that mentality, until I learned that everyone with my culture is being treated bad, I'm like, no, I'm not just going to keep mm-hmm. my head down because mm-hmm. then nothing will change.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: so my school, my school years really taught me a lot of negative lessons that revealed many gems about what I could do and where the direction I should take. So.
0: Okay, okay. Education. There you go. Yeah, like uh, I, I relate to that so much because... I, I guess my experience was, I guess, growing up being on the on the flip side of, like, the, the underbelly of, you know, the black community where, you know, I am a part of the LGBT community where, um, you know, that is such a, a negative stigma because, you know, masculinity and, like, uh, homosexuality, those two are all, that you can't mix the two then. Yeah. It's, and it has so much negative connotation that it, the... The community which in which that supports one another as soon as they start seeing um, anyone who's a part of the LGBT community within the community starts to like basically like push it out or try to to um to to I'm trying to figure out the the words to to say here, but it's like I guess try to push it out. and I always I had this struggle where I was like, who am I? If like who am I as a black person or of a black male in particular? Where here I am, where all I want to do is love the person I want to love, but my own community, who I grew up to respect and admire, and I have, have um and recognize the sacrifices that's been made, wants to kick me out. So like I, I went through a journey where I did not want to associate with being black. So, like, I remember in high school and middle school where because I'm, I'm a lighter skin, I would always go around saying that I'm mixed. So I would s- stand away from um, my culture and the, me being a black person because of the, the trauma and, and the, the, the mental abuse that I experienced growing up in the system as being a, being a gay kid. and it's and it's it's interesting to see
1: yes that contrast is it's there's so many it's almost just like like a fishbowl of challenges Mm. no matter which direction you're trying to swim the bowl itself is just the container that we're in Mm -hmm. and we're trying to find a way to get out and but it's it's almost maddening to think of growing up in a proud black community like bermuda and still having to find your identity be threatened and challenged continuously exactly and then myself growing up in a proud black family but as an introvert and as someone that you know I usually speak softly I my head's always in books I love reading science fiction I'm not one to openly challenge people just for the sake of doing it it's too much energy I'd mm-hmm. like to I like to get along with people mm-hmm. and to be put in that, on that pedestal all the time whenever I open my mouth, almost as if my whispers or screams to people that hear me because of my skin, mm-hmm. it, it just made me withdraw more and more and be like, well, maybe I'm just a threat. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you learn that, no, this is something that every single black person goes through in a different lens to them, individualized, it's just a story that needs to be told.
0: Exactly so going down the story row um so how did all this affect your mental health
1: horrible i like so i was diagnosed probably uh 18 with like adhd and chronic depression social anxiety disorder you name it a bunch of learning disabilities and uh it came as a complete shock to mom and the family but i was always a quiet person and Mm -hmm. they just didn't know how far in i retreated because Honestly, I took a lot of those traumatic experiences in the education system just to heart. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. was trying to find a way to be myself that wouldn't be shamed when I presented it. Okay. And no matter what I tried to turn into, it would always come out being like either dangerous or not good enough, and I'm like, "Okay, well, I'll just retreat into myself." And there was a couple years where I just spent on social assistance just reflection, meditating, trying to find out and it honestly that was a long part of my life until I went to Holland College and got turned education around for myself and then asked that professor and she sent me those education materials that I realized okay this is normal and even though I have these mental issues I, can, I have to work backwards now to unpack all this trauma. Okay. And that's kind of where I am now in finding my black identity is what are things I'm proud of that also just happens to align with the black community and things they're proud of. Loving music, loving mm-hmm, writing, mm-hmm. storytelling, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just being around people and having loud like emotional conversations. And it is never threatening. And it's really appreciating what my family gave me mm-hmm. that I forgot from constant almost brainwashing through the education Mm -hmm, system mm -hmm. on what a citizen of New Brunswick should be Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because very rarely do you see that citizen of New Brunswick being a person of color or an immigrant or Mm -hmm. anyone Mm -hmm. that's a a non-white
0: okay okay so what's your what's your saving grace what's what's keeping you keeping you going what's keeping you hopeful about the future
1: Definitely the fact that, I would say, uh, hopefully she'll never listen to this, but my mom. Okay. The fact for the black excellence thing, my mom having her master's, working on PhD, like living with my mom all this time and seeing her work a job and then come home and then go to campus for four hours and then come home late and still talk to her friends and family and set up appointments. She'll meet with people. When I was a kid and I'd have a bunch of friends over at the house, she'd always sit down and talk to each one of my friends to Mm -hmm. see how they were doing, Mm -hmm. to see if they needed anything to eat. And we always made a joke like, if I made 10 friends, mom would buy $100 more groceries. Just because she was always supporting the whole family, everyone there. Mm -hmm. And uh, just her as a role model into what black strength can look like Mm -hmm. and how you can support a community and still pursue an educational path. Okay. You're not stuck in what society says you need to do to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. That's kind of. And she's going back to school now and she's in her 60s. Mm-hmm. So, me being 32, it's not. I can't say, oh, I missed the boat because I should have been 20. I'm like, look at mom. She's I, doing it.
0: There you go. It seems like it's. And uh, in, in earlier episodes, I, I've been talking about this it's the mindset change. It's. it's It's yes, society around us is saying that we need to be X, we need to be Y, but we need to change, we need to have like an internal focus and change our internal mindset to ensure that we're, that we're moving forward.
1: Very much so. Very, just to, to defend the things you love Mm. is really what I'm learning to do. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a blog piece about how in the school system, I used to write poetry all the time and I'd share it with friends and they thought, oh, you could be a rapper because they didn't know any black poets. Mm-hmm. And all the poets they knew were Shakespeare and uh, a bunch of old white men. And so they couldn't see me as that because they're always seeing Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, and all these people mm-hmm. who their music is great. And I listen to it, but I never wanted to be that. I just wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. And going through that and finding myself, I don't know, kind of disappointed in myself that if this is something I like and it's just going to lead to rapping, then I won't do it. I shut that part down. And now bringing it back, it's almost a hundred times stronger, using that poetry to uh, to share my voice and defend what I love and my opinion and expression. Mm-hmm. You just have to. You have to express. If there's anyone who's curious about how to find your identity, you have to create. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Just, things have to be put out for people to see. And no matter what they say, just keep putting it out.
0: This is it. Yeah. This is it. That's it. Oh, like th- this is what uh, this is why I'm, this is why you're here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, it's every time you come, it's like my like I'm falling, like I I I can't I can't even <laughs> articulate the words that I'm feeling right now. Like that's that's how wild I'm at. It's it's having these conversations that it's going to change the world. I feel it's, it's showcasing, you know, the intersectionalities within the black community is key. Cause like, that's something that I, I feel like I struggle with where I get the comments of, so why do you talk like that? I was mm-hmm. like, this, this is how I talk. Like, you yeah. know, my parents, you know, it's still education in me. <laughs> so the reason why I'm speaking like this is because, you know i was five years old watching like nature documentary <laughs> so it's like it's it's understanding that you know mm-hmm. a sound like your voice doesn't belong to a race or the fact that i love to talk about politics and the stock market that's not something that is connected to a race that's something that i'm interested in yes, it's yes. it's understanding the value of intersectionalities so it, Do you, do you go into those barriers where people's like, why, why do you talk like this? Or why don't you do this? Like, why don't you play basketball? Or why don't you do this?
1: All the time. And I, you know, I love the conversation of stereotypes Mm. because there's
0: always a kernel
1: of truth in them. And so to full disclosure, I am a boxing coach and I was a boxer. (laughs) So I know I say, oh, I'm not aggressive and all that, but In my exercise, in my years as a personal trainer, exercising has always been a way to challenge my inner demons personally Mm. and exercise discipline over them Mm -hmm. to say that these are hard things to do and I will go to this place and do them Mm -hmm. to prove to my emotions that sometimes get out of control and just want to not do anything that even at those worst moments, you can still make yourself do good things, Okay, even at the worst of times. And so boxing is so important I think for everyone to try out just to show that inner warrior that we all have Mm -hmm. you don't know your strength until you like just try and hit a bag as hard as you can with the gloves and you're just like I'm capable of that okay whenever angry sad happy and uh so that's a stereotype that I do fall into but not for the shallow reasons of I'm out looking for a fight on the Mm -hmm, street mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's all character building for me and uh no, all through school it was, especially with the poetry, all of a sudden they want me to be a rapper. And then when I'm like, all right, well, let's start a rap group. And, of course, all my friends who are white would say, well, we're too white to rap. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, well, whatever. And I'd keep bugging them and bugging them about this. And then all of a sudden it'd turn like, well, you live in the suburbs, Tondaway. Why would you, you're too white to be a rapper. You speak too polite and correct as if like British People have the market on speaking eloquently, Mm -hmm. on enunciation, Mm -hmm. and it's I'm supposed to speak with broken up words and not fully formed sentences because of the type of skin color I have, and my difference should make me less than, Mm -hmm. and I was just like, I read books. I read books, (laughs) that's it. That's that and the hair thing. Yeah. Uh, I had an afro back in the day, and I never took care of it. And I just let it look like tarantulas just crawling out of my hair. And people like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) And uh, then I shaved it. And it wasn't until probably three or four years ago that I grew it back and I've started taking care of it. Mm -hmm. And that was the first internal step for me as like my silent protest. I was like, this is just my hair. Why are people making a big deal? I was out at a place the other day. And uh, the bartender was like, oh, yeah, I I went to a barber, and they said, I have hair like a black person. It was this white guy with, like, straight blonde hair. And I was just thinking, if there was any other culture person in here, would you start the conversation on hair? Mm. Or is it just because black hair is exotic? It's yeah. so different. Oh, yeah. it's an afro? Well, when I get out of the shower, I have an afro. I'm like, <laughs> what if another white guy with curly hair walked in? Would you say that to them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I highly doubt it. Yeah. But it's just us
0: yeah it's it's the hair thing because I, I guess me growing up my hair was um, an act of protest too um it's funny every every male in my family on my dad's side they have long hair and growing up I've always wanted to like just do that but it was like an internal like oh my mom's gonna hate this but <laughs> It was like this internal struggle where my mom and understanding where she came from and understanding um, the, the, the the trials she experienced as being a black woman, you know, her dealing with like especially when she was dealing with uh, in corporate world where she had to like suppress and conform that she constantly instilled in us as a way to, you know, you have to be able to if you want to succeed in this world, you have to be able to conform to the world. So it it wasn't until I moved away to university, I started growing out my hair and now I'm getting into situations where it's like, Oh, why, why, how you get your hair like this? Or how do I do this? And for me, like I, I'm constantly explaining the fact of why my hair is like this. I was like, my hair is like this is because of genetics. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. it's not. Or it's, Um, I, I remember one part, one time where I was literally, I walked out of a meeting. And this lady came up to me. And she was just like, I love your hair. I'm going to touch it. And just like goes goes ahead and goes goes forward to touch my hair and here i am not knowing what to do letting someone touch my hair and i'm like
1: (laughs) the whole black people not having personal boundaries thing ah just especially when i was a personal trainer working behind the desk the people that would walk up to me and say one of these days i'm just going to shove my hand in your hair and i was just like what an aggressive like (laughs) proclamation of i'm going to break your personal boundaries Mm -hmm. One day in the future, and I'm like, mm-hmm. "What a weird threat to someone that's just like doing administration." Where I was like, "Okay, what am I supposed to say to this pain client?" I'm like, okay, yeah. And there's just been so many moments in my life where people are like, "Oh, can I play with your hair?" And sometimes in the education system where they would just do it. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's so weird how you never see that happen if. Any other man or woman would just go up to any other guy or girl and go straight for the hair. Mm-hmm. That's such a personal space, mm-hmm. your mind, how you're thinking, your facial features. You don't just reach out and grab that on someone. That's such a threatening thing to do, but they think it's okay when you're a black person. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show this huge barrier of ignorance that they hold on, they're not even aware of it. Mm-hmm. These are the people that say they don't see color, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I love your hair. Mm -hmm. Can I just touch it? Mm -hmm. It's just hair. It's just hair. There's nothing. Full stop. It's hair. It's a little longer than yours and a little curlier. That's it. Okay. I I have no idea why. (laughs) Anyway, I wrote a nice poem about that.
0: (laughs) Oh oh my gosh, I love it. Um, Okay, so I feel like we're, we're hitting a lot of topics here. And... When it comes to the future, and I have a two-part question. First part of of it is, for someone who is, like, listening to this podcast now, and they're like, okay, I get it. I want to learn. How can someone learn to be an ally?
1: If you want to learn to be an ally, hmm, I would say... I liked I was at an event that you were on the panel at, and uh, one person said to share the events on your Facebook. I think a big thing from a, a marketing perspective and my time in business, is if you see that there's an AfroFest mm-hmm. or that there are some local events that are put on by the Caribbean society or something, share that to your Facebook. That is probably, if you're unfamiliar and you're kind of curious about it, that's the biggest step you can do to have everyone who sees your Facebook just acknowledge, oh, this happens in my city. Oh, there's ethnic cultural events that go on. And that can be your first step into it. The next step is go out and have conversations with people.
0: Mm-hmm. Really,
1: that's that's the biggest thing is learn those other perspectives. Cause, and I'm not speaking up from high on here. This is what I've had to do because I didn't identify as a black person. Mm -hmm. I was just tawned away for so long that I took my culture outside of myself. And it's been until pretty much now, working through this year, that I'm like, oh, I'm tawned away and a black man, Mm -hmm. and certain things that Tondue loves doing is also associated with strengths and wonderful things in the black community, the love of music and sound. It's like being physical and just hugging people. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm, there's certain, and when I do my research and read up on these things now, I see it in my family. I see it in my uncles when they're laughing and hugging their like nephews. I just see that sense of like unforgiving love that you get and you so rarely see other families hug their kids in the yep. streets or be like that but if you see a black that love yeah. it doesn't matter what context you put it in it's so strong all the time and it's just like i feel that for people too and uh yeah just share those conversations with people that you are questioning if you think someone's a little different than you have a conversation with them
0: okay that's the best thing you can do okay so, like, the context of this podcast is, like, looking for looking for the future and thinking about what can happen in New Brunswick. So what is, like, your hope for New Brunswick as a province in reference to being a black man?
1: Well, I would definitely say more education on the important black people that were in New Brunswick when the loyalists were here, uh, I know my mom went to a military museum and they had nothing on any soldiers from the African military and the Canadian Armed Forces when my grandfather was okay. in fact in okay. the forces okay. of the military. So there's a whole lot of uh, term bomb, anyway, erasure going on mm-hmm. on how these stories of how Canada was independent and it defended its independence. And here's all these great people that helped prop that up. Mm-hmm. The aboriginal cultures the black cultures and the Acadian cultures mm. get left to the side. And mm-hmm. I'm saying, like, let's tell those stories on these people that were fighting for Canada and uh, really bring that up. So at the education, let's tell the kids. Okay. We have to we have to put it in the schools. And there's more than enough curriculum to do that. And how many how many times are we gonna go over World War One and Two?
0: Exactly. oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. No, yeah. <laughs> I agree.
1: What's more important like our own history and how we're going to do great for the future, educating about our government and how Canada is so diverse. Mm-hmm. And this is what we always promote externally. Mm-hmm. But internally, all our provinces, were at this constant war with bilingualism, mm-hmm. this constant war with multiculturalism and having quotas to fill for your diversity and... Any university will show you Asian, black, like white person, woman. But when you go to those universities, you find out it's a majority of white people. And like people that of the same grades, there's so much when you get into the education system that is, oh, it's it's just crazy. But I would say, let's tell the kids. So it's not a shock to them. Mm-hmm. So they're not mm-hmm. having songs called Mary Has a Little Lamb, His Fleece Was Black as Coal. Let's, let's get that into the next generation. And then they'll help us with that problem when they become age.
0: So TJ, thanks for coming to our show. Um, where can people find you? Where people can hear some of your poetry? What's coming up next for you? What what's out there for you?
1: Uh, I've got a blog on Medium that I'm using to practice my writing. You can just Google Tondway McCarthy. Uh, my Instagram is Seekaway S. E K O W A Y. You could follow me on there. It's just basically me going through school and hanging out with great people like you, KJ. <laughs> my path now to try and really build this personality that incorporates my identity. And, uh, I just forgot the last part you asked
0: there. I think that was it. No. <laughs> there
1: we go. There we go. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thanks for coming again thanks and. Thanks for inviting me. For those of you who are listening, I hope you come back next week where we're going to listen to some more people coming in. Like always, peace and love.